If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA Podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA Podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 313, Frock the Free World of the Severe MMA Podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, joined today by the Ronan O'Gara of Irish MMA Media, Graham McDonald, as we talk about a big weekend in the world of, of mixed martial arts with lots of fights last weekend. No fights next Hold weekend. On, did, did O'Gara's team win or not? They lost, I think, yeah. Ah, fuck's yeah, sake. That's why I called you the Ronan O'Gara of Irish MMA Media, so there you go. But I, I, I actually wasn't watching it, but I think, I, I, I believe he's done a great job, although he's not their full manager yet, so he'll be their full manager next year, I think, so... You know, fair play to him. Uh, I'm sure they'll be winning even more next year than, than this year. But however, um, looking forward to talking a bit of MMA. Before we do that, we must give a shout out to, uh, and uh, tell you that we are supported uh, by Manscaped. Uh, so support for the Severe MMA podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the biggest uh, men's below the waist grooming place in, on earth. Big news for Manscaped. They just released their new cologne scent, which myself and Graham were actually just talking about before the podcast started. And Graham says he absolutely loves it. It's what... Honestly, the longest-lasting scent I have ever used, and it's, it's absolutely brilliant. So who knew smelling this good could be this good? Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Everyone knows Manscaped has the perfect package 3.0 for all your uh, below-the-waist grooming needs, but they didn't stop there. Complete your grooming game with the new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. With the same signature scent that's in all the Manscaped formulas, the cologne is a perfect complement to the collection light approachable and gentlemanly in the right ways think of it as your wingman for the night to keep you fresh and ready for anything camming and inviting the signature scent introduces a light citrus burst before settling into the uh, anchoring notes of vivitor and woodsy masculine i feel like i should be reading this in a golf voice the 50 million spray cologne is even hypoallergenic cruelty free tie free paraben free and 100% vegan beautifully designed glass bottle makes a statement and the manly scent is attractive to set the mood also uh, that also wasn't a, go- a golf voice there was a, however uh, be sure to check out the perfect pack 3.0 with all, with all the essentials for your below the waist grooming needs including the uh, lawnmower 3.0 have I it here I do here we go and crop formulations uh, yes I'm talking about ball deodorant I like your, I like your impression there <laughs> It was, it was accurate. It was accurate. Uh, all those stuff will keep your testes their besties. Now you can use the Manscaped Refined Cologne to complete your set and smell great anytime, anywhere. It's great uh, to feel sexy. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. 20% off, free shipping, code SEVEREMMA manscaped.com look good smell good feel good with manscaped right graham what's, what's graham mcdonald in irish he's a Ma- mac pierce or something is it what's mcdonald in irish 
Jeez, I don't know. You don't know. Ah, here, you don't know you're on Evan Irish. Jesus, I, I was going to start calling you that now. But anyway, come here to me, Graham. Here's a little bit of a debate before we get into all the fights now. Because someone was saying, we got into something in the comment section the other day, and it's something we've actually been trying to do more recently. Is like, not just get into like going over fight after fight after fight, which there's fight after fight after fight these days, so we kind of have to do it a little bit. But we, we will we'll still do a little bit of that. But I want a quick, a quick couple of minute debate here before we start into the fights. There was a thing came up on Twitter the other day, and someone said, who is the best fighter in UFC history to never fight for a title? And I, I feel like I know your answer in terms of, like, not a singular name, but what you will argue about. What, what do you think? Is there a name that sticks out to you, or is there something that sticks out to you when you say that? Who's the best fighter to never fight for a title in UFC history? Oof. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm probably missing somebody, somebody uh, big, but... Um, so I'll throw out a few names like even an interim title yeah Paul Felder he retired last night which I'm I'm sure we'll Cub Cub Swanson no no couldn't be the best could they I don't know Fedor Emelianenko oh for a UFC title yeah yeah I I suppose that's cheating a bit but look I think the answer here is the next best guy now and I, I feel like that's what will be your answer as well. Like, yeah, well, uh, yeah, well, that's kind of, yeah, but that's not, not really, yeah, that's kind of, I think that probably is the case unless it's, you know, a year ago or in the last few years, somebody that you could maybe argue, but if you're going back all the way to Fedor in terms of, you know, in terms of his competitive ability at the time, he was, he was brilliant, but if, in terms of his actual abilities versus, you know, somebody at the same kind of uh, upper echelon uh, place as, as he, as uh, Fedor was held now, uh, it's, it's, it's a different story, but. You know, Fedor definitely is one that, uh, you know, uh, for years a lot, a lot of people wanted to see come to the UFC. Wanted to, wanted to see, uh, you know, even Lorenzo Fertitta. Basically, he, he, I think it was he said that he offered, he offered thirty million for five fights or thirty million for six fights or something. Mm-hmm. So they, they really did try to make it happen. You know, sometimes the UFC don't try to make these things happen, but they did, and it just didn't happen. But uh, you know, I think it would have been it would have been brilliant to see him come in and fight for the UFC title, and it was definitely an opportunity missed. But I think, yeah, definitely, you know, guys now are on a different level skills wise to to even Fedor. You know, what was dominant back then is would wouldn't cut the mustard at all today. Yeah, like guys to me stand out like someone like Ibni Lariush, even who's fighting last week, or Zabit Magomed Sharipov, or Islam Makachev, or someone like that. You know, the, those sort of guys stick out as. It, they might not have like the muster of uh, a Cub Swanson or a Fedor or something like that. Who's and you know I I said it to him because Cub fought in the UFC and was should have gotten a title shot at one stage I think and missed out on it and you know Felder a good fighter as well but got kind of guys like that who've been around for a good while and, and never managed to get there like this, uh, a lot of guys do these days I'll say I'm, I'm looking through the rankings here say someone like say Gilbert Burns a very good fighter he's got his title shot Damian Maia's got a title shot uh, Wonderboy obviously got a few title shots and stuff as well so there's a lot of I suppose Tony Ferguson he, I know he got the interim title shot but he never got the the you know the actual one so um yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's an interesting debate. And just... well, yeah, for the example, you know, so just going back, the most recent, you know, like Rob Font. If you look at his like, you know, yeah. ability compared to to some of the some of the other guys we're talking about, even Fader. I think you know, if pe- maybe people who are, who are fans of Fader won't like this, but I think it's pretty pretty clear cut that you know Rob Font's skills would be a lot better than Fader's skills. So he'd be 
he'd be ahead of Fedor in the in the rankings if you were looking at it that way. Yeah, in it's interesting. Of, let's, yeah. let's. I suppose we can transition over and talk a little bit about uh, about Rob Font and his performance last night. Um, yeah. You know, we've been talking for years about people needing a job, and he, he, you know, he has a job, and he uses it so effectively. And you know, maybe uh, you know the guys we were listing like Fedor, and they didn't really, you know, it was more of a less technical, more kind of balls to the wall style with Fedor. It wasn't it wasn't um you know as as cultured or as slick as the the striking of for example a Rob Font and the jab like using using your distance really well and just being an all around very smart MMA fighter and executing the ability to execute game plans I think is on another level than or the game plans themselves even are on another level than they used to be as well. So there's just a lot of factors going on there that make these current fighters like Rob Font like just the game just evolved so quickly we always talk about it like if you're out for three years or, or two two or three years more then the game's gonna likely have passed you by by the time you come back unless you've been extremely active in the gym and you know somebody like a Nick Diaz people want to see him come back I want to see him come back but if he does come back he's probably gonna look like a relic mm-hmm I I couldn't agree more, and that was one of the thoughts I had. Because remember when, like when Dwayne Ludwig went into Team Alpha Male, and he kind of changed TJ Dillashaw around, and even I think those lads kind of fighting Dominic Cruz made them adjust their style to fight even better. And then we saw TJ kind of coming through and look really good, and then Cody coming through with his kind of boxing style, and we're thinking like, oh, there's not many people around doing this or doing this as well as there. And you know they've obviously fought each other, and it was like, oh, who's going to win between them? And like I think. A lot of people at that stage kind of thought those two lads were kind of the new era of one of the best divisions in the world and in, in a way they were but i think you know uh, the, just don't last very long sometimes when you have an apex like that like i'm i'm sure you could probably talk about conor mcgregor coming through looking at jose aldo when you have someone that good at the top of your division or you know chris weidman when he came through was looking at anderson silva the whole time when you have someone that good at the top of your division and always pushes you to be as good as them in that realm like i even said someone like an ian gary coming up i asked him one of his recent things about usman and you know he's looking at him and looking at his style and seeing that look you need to be a really good wrestler you need to be a really good striker you need to do it all and i feel like those lads right there and with crews before them as well and you know and, and, and others as well I'm, I'm not leaving anyone out but i think they produced such good technical fighting that it moved people on like i think demetrius johnson has is a similar kind of guy it's just they rose the level of what yeah, it meant well, to be think, great like, you know if henry, if henry cejudo had to come in and just steamrolled everybody would he have gotten so good you know would he have looked so much improved after his his johnson his demetrius johnson loss mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He had to. I think it's more likely that he would have just kind of, you know, stuck to what he was doing if if everything had been so. If he had had it easy, you know what I mean? But he had to because Demetrius Johnson was so good, and you know, um, Henry Hood is such a like you know you, you're such a you're such a strong competitor and ego even like if you're if you're if you're an olympic gold medalist you need that you like you're not just going to accept oh well i'm second best in this division you know what i mean so mm-hmm. that definitely would push you on to become a better fighter and he you know he improved fight to fight even after the, the the johnson fight like so i think that's a good example of you know somebody who was was pushed so you can look at like other sports liverpool and man city a couple of seasons ago 97 98 points if they weren't chasing each other no they probably would have got like 89 something like that you know what yeah. i mean yeah, it's very true. And I think last night was a good example because 
I, I, look, I think I was thinking about that fight afterwards and the way Cody kind of got handled. For, I think he got handled for four rounds. I think the first round was relatively close. But I don't think a few years ago that would have happened in the same sort of way. I don't think Rob Font or anyone would have had like that technical ability to beat Cody in that sort of way. And I, I, I think... You look at last night, right? And we'll talk about Cody. And I think Cody had a few issues, and we'll talk about them in a second. But like, if someone fought Cody last night and they weren't as one hundred percent on it as Rob Font was, I think Cody would have grown into the fight a little bit, and maybe not have won, but would have done a lot better and landed a lot more shots. The problem is when you're Cody Garbrandt, right? And you've been you you got a good knockout in your last fight, but you're confidence isn't what he used to be and if you watch Cody Garbrandt and he's up and coming days even um the, the Dominic Cruz fight where you know he's looking into the crowd and he's dancing in the middle of the cage and stuff he's ultra confident ultra slick he's throwing his combinations all the time not even thinking about it getting his head out the way and then he get you know he gets knocked out a few times and that kind of all goes out the window yeah, the a momentum is gone the confidence is gone <laughs> you're second guessing yourself you know if you look at this fight compared to the strategy and the style Cody uh, implemented in this fight compared to a few years ago it's, it's, he's trying to be a different fighter yeah totally you know what I mean I, I'm he, not sure he, if he can be the same fighter yeah he, he even had a little bit of success when he kind of abandoned that in, in, in moments yeah he did. <laughs> and, you know it's a risky strategy we've seen it go against him before like where he, his chin maybe isn't the best but you know maybe in the fifth round he tried a little bit as well to kind of put it on the line but he just he just I think was too tired and beaten down by that stage I, I think it was as well like um, my kind of point there as well is like I don't think uh, I don't think if this sort of performance came from Cody a few years ago you would have had the quality enough for someone to make it uh, a bad night for Cody. Like, I, my example in this fight is, right, Rob Font, when he was on the front foot, when he was landing his jab and he shots after it, you know, you're all, when you, you have that good of a jab and your combinations are that good after it and your head movement and you're moving away and you're defensively good, it's, it's always going to be good. But I think the thing that really, maybe not really want to run it, own it for Rob Font, but I think, like, that extra maybe 20% at the end of it that took him from maybe a 49, 48 or a close fight into a domination was when Cody was throwing his jab and even landing it there was nothing coming after from Cody but there was from Rob Font like Rob Font was almost using at times not not all the time through the fight but at big important times he was almost using Cody's jab and Cody's lead whatever the shot might be as a setup, as kind of his own jab to start things out. And I think when you're Cody, right, and you're getting uh, defensively and offensively for Font dominated, and then when your offense is turning into offense for your opponent, what can you do in that situation? It's so tough. And like I think the only thing to do is to be more confident. Don't let him counter from your jab or from your lead throw a lead and then throw one after it and then throw another and then throw another and as you said Graham in the fifth round when he did that in the first two or three minutes of it he had success but the problem is when Font hit him with a couple of shots Cody it's not that Cody wilted it's just that like he was oh here we go again and that happens so often I think, think it happens a lot in boxing you know when guys try to come back late in fights in the 11th or 12th round and they're like oh come on we're gonna knock him out we're gonna knock him out and then he likes lands one jab and they're like okay wait no we're back into you know the how the first 10 rounds have gone um and that that kind of to me was what happened in this fight. It was a it was a beautiful performance from Rob Font the whole way in every facet of it. 
I what did you think? I was I was actually going to text it to you. What about Font Tate down defense? Did you think that was a bit suspect if if we were going to? Yeah, if we're critical? looking if we're looking forward, yeah, I think like is it? Do you think it's Rob Font Tate down defense, or do you just think Cody has never gone for takedowns before, and this is the first time, and he's actually a good wrestler? I think it's probably a bit yeah. of both, to be honest. Well, yeah. Also on that, I think a lot of people were saying, oh, maybe Cody looked like he was feeling the effects of of COVID oh, or something. Oh. Was the next thing I was going to say. Yeah, think? I think I think that oh, it's hard to know. I think that maybe part of it, like we've seen, like I suspect, like somebody like Mane, you know, ever since he came back, for he's just been. Uh, Liverpool football player he's just been off the boil and we've heard of other of other sports um, athletes and stuff say that it's like mm-hmm. these, this long term COVID I think it, maybe it did have something to do but I think also you know wrestling when you're not used to it um, is, is more tiring than you know it would be if you're if you're fighting your natural game so that probably played into it too and also you know getting punched in the face with, with a jab and combos just doesn't help your cardio either so it's hard to know like people seem to want to make that what, what it was but it probably played a bit of a factor but I'm not sure how much of a factor that played I think it was more Rob Font just you know uh, punching him in the face and him having to go out of his natural game and having to go for takedowns when it's not really um, in muscle memory the same as it is for on the, uh, his normal game on the feet. Yeah, I think I think there was a bit of both of it, to be honest. Like, I looked at Cody. If you look at Cody at the start of that fight and look at him at the start of other fights or, or normally coming into fights, I do not think, and, you know, I'm not being critical of Cody here. I just think it's the, the critical of the situation. I don't think he looked in the shape that he normally looks in. I don't think there was that you know, that, that six-pack that he normally has, that cut down here. Like, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people talking about, or him talking about moving to 125, and, you know, we've talked about it before, that he doesn't look like he has much to, to cut to get down to 125. He kind of did a little bit last night. Like, and Cody Garbrandt is guy. you can say what you want about Cody, but Cody always comes in shape, and even, you know, we, I know we've talked before about guys like Aldo, will if they have injuries they will pull out and they will not take the fight so they can come in 100% in shape and that's what they should do and I think Cody is one of those as well he's had no problem before pulling out but I think I think he probably didn't have any injuries in this but just didn't have that gas tank to get there and I I I, st- I think people are maybe underestimating it a little bit what can be you know as you said with Mane but I think you know Pogba was like that a little bit it took him three or four months to kind of get back to playing well and, and it's St. Maxim who plays for Newcastle as well he's kind of carrying an extra bit of weight and there's a few different people and it's, it's, especially with sports I was reading a thing before and I think Liam McCourt was actually talking about it as well um how it affects people and how sports people, you know, they have to drive to a higher level of cardio than even normal fit people, you know, to get to where they need to get to. And MMA being one of the highest level of all, they need, you know, to go balls to the wall for 25 minutes like Cody Garbrandt was uh, uh, challenged of doing last night. So it's it's a very, very... Um, it's a very tough situation for him to, to be put into. And, you know, even looking forward, if we're talking about uh, Hamzat Shemaev coming back as well, he's another one who's had a very, very bad bout with it. So... This is something, you know, that could be ongoing. And still, I think, we we seem to forget about it at times as well. But a lot of places, not necessarily are in lockdown, but some people, and uh, you know, in, in America, I mean, some people would maybe be keeping themselves to themselves or keeping the gyms maybe not closed, but to smaller groups and stuff like that. And for some people, it's great. And for some people, I'm, I'm sure it, there's struggles there and there's issues. And like Cody as well. Fighting with Mark Henry, uh, or training with Mark Henry and training with Team Alpha Male as well. They're on opposite sides of the country, if I'm not mistaken. It's a very, very tough situation. So, <clears throat> you know, it's um, 
I, I didn't think he looked his best, but all credit to Rob Font. I think uh, I, I think we were both... Uh, we've always been big fans of Rob Font, and I think... Yeah, like uh, I picked Rob Font in this, but I, I think it was more impressive, more dominant, I thought, maybe. You know, yeah. these, the, the, the first round was kind of close, but I, I had it for I had all rounds for Font. Um, there was a, I was thinking maybe one could have been a 10-8, but I think it was the fourth, but uh, just about not. And... Um, you know, I was expecting more of maybe 48, 47, 49, 46 with the rounds being closer. I think, you know, uh, Font, I think he's, you know, people are kind of underselling how, how well he did with his with his job and his combination behind it. That Like, you know, in Cody's game, was able to frustrate Cody and tag him repeatedly. And, you know, I think, I think maybe maybe the COVID thing and Cody looking, as you said, people pointing out Cody didn't really look the same um, physically going in, stuff like that. But I think, you know, Rob Font, basically, you know, biggest fight of his career so far in a main event, goes out there and, you know, puts on a clinic and it's easy to forget, like, sometimes when the the, the winner, when the opponent really maybe doesn't look up to their best, but a, a lot of the time that's to do with, you know, the, the game plan and execution of the game plan, the skills of the other fighter and, you know, uh, Cody. It's it's like, you know, it's hard. It's hard to know what you do with him now. Yeah. Like one twenty five, I don't really like for him. I don't know. His chin looked all right last night, though. That is one thing I would say. You know, he took a lot of big shots in there, and he he kept coming. And I think, like I think, uh, I criticized Mark Henry a little bit before for his game planning and stuff. I wouldn't criticize him too much after last night, but I think maybe he has made Cody know. a little yeah. bit a little bit better defensively in terms of like not getting into those wars immediately like has that taken away from Cody a little bit I think maybe I think it has but maybe in the short term it has but maybe with a bit more time he yeah. can you know he can uh, him and Mark Henry can kind of you know uh, develop it and, and make it a more uh, feasible style at, at the at the top level but you know I think <laughs> the Cody he's very well rounded I think they said he basically has a hundred percent takedown defense. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, he's 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 definitely a really well-rounded, high-level fighter. But I uh, do I see him ever kind of getting back to the top? I don't think so now. Like I just don't think so. It's tough to see. It definitely is tough to see. But you know, for Rob Font, it's, it's the opposite. And I saw him last night saying that uh, he loved the matchup with with Pedrian, and I think that's a very very fun matchup. And obviously, Sterling is the is the champion at the moment, and that to me is a, I, I think he said it himself. It's it's a tougher matchup. And when he said it, it was like mm, yeah, it, it, I suppose it kind of is. Although Yan is a is a tough matchup for anyone. But the way he kind of matches up with Yan, the way they both strike, uh, like I think I, it's funny. And this is maybe a wider point as well, not getting into to go and fight by fight. But I was watching the Bellator Bellator at the weekend uh, and uh, Alexander Shabley fighting Alfie Davis. And Alfie Davis, anyone knows, is a very good fighter. But Shabley, this Russian guy, 20, 19 and 3 coming into this, 20 and 3 coming out of it. And saying a, like a guy who's been fighting on the Russian scene kind of comes out of nowhere. A bit, a bit, people on the Russian scene and people who watch the Russian scene obviously know very, very well about him. But these guys kind of emerge from nowhere 
and there's so many of them now coming from the Russian team. I joked like every champion in Bellator and uh, and UFC is going to be uh, Russian <laughs> in a few years. And uh, you know what? It was going kind of half a joke because these guys are so good coming through. But I think the way to beat these guys is something like Font did last night. And if you're looking at Font versus Yan, and even when I, we were looking at Sterling versus Yan, I think you need a high output, high cardio game. You know, we have because you know a lot to do maybe with the judging criteria, but a lot to do with how. MMA has kind of progressed we're into a very kind of hard striking bludgeoning sort of game these days a lot of the top guys are that like even look at Jan he hits really really hard maybe not the same output as you know or a bigger output than his opponents would in a fight like before we went through a phase where there was like high output high output high output and the, the guys winning fights were landing you know however many shots around to, to win it way more than their opponents I don't think that's the case with like the top fighters of champions these days I think they're landing more effectively but I think maybe the way to get around that is to land a lot more shots to stop their effective shots and you to win rounds like that way I think and the you need a very good, unbelievable technical game. You need a good chin. And you need really, really good cardio to do that, I think. And that's going to be hard to do. But that's the challenge, I think. You know, we talked about it at the start of this podcast about you see, seeing the guys at the top and seeing a way to get around them. And I, I think that would be my prediction of the way to get around them uh, at the moment as well. So I think it's a big uh, a big call for uh, a guy like Rob Font to even rise his game further to fight guys like Yan and Sterling at the top of that division. And I think for all people coming up, like if you're... Uh, if the, the likes of Mekachayev is coming up in your division or Magomed Sharapov or Shabali or Magomed Magomedov in, in the Bellator 135 pound division those are the guys you need to be preparing for now not the champions I think you know it's the, it's the next champion you need to be preparing for and uh, it's a uh, there's a, a lot of uh, preparing to do if you're uh, going to be on par with those guys. But however, Graham, I'm going to move over, uh, speaking of Bellator, to Liam McCourt's fight. And we'll pop back to the UFC and we'll go through and we'll give you the results of those fights and get into a couple of things that I want to talk about, uh, including a bit of odd matchmaking in that one. But this Liam McCourt fight, obviously we're an Irish MMA podcast, so Liam McCourt had a, a really big fight. Uh, she's obviously ranked in that division. Janae Harding is ranked in the division as well. Um, and it was... A really, really great comeback. I suppose that's the first thing you have to say about it. Liam McCourt showed absolutely great heart. It looked at one stage that she had kind of turned away and that the referee was just about to stop it, but she absolutely never stopped for one second. And she was attempting to protect herself. And when Janae Harding kind of got up after uh, Leah had been hurt, Leah hit her with that big up kick and then got her in that triangle and, and was able to submit her. Um... It, look it wasn't the best start in the world she missed weight as well which is obviously a big issue and something that she's going to have to um, address going forward and she's going to have to make and maybe you know I'm not sure what, what her reasons were for it but you know quarantining coming from Ireland going over to America and stuff I'm sure that was a bit of an issue as well and hopefully that won't be the case by by the next time she fights and we'll all have our vaccines and everything like that and it'll be all okay but um it was one of those fights where it was the biggest win of her career. There was a lot of things to work on, though, which I suppose is, you know, for a, for a fighter who wants to improve and wants to get better, that, that that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you don't want to be taking that amount of damage either, I suppose, in fights. But all in all, a great win for Liam McCourt. How, how did you see the fight, Graham? Yeah, it definitely looked like the fight was getting away from her. It swung the other way. She started well, and um, I think we said, we said, like, every time we've talked about Liam, that she's definitely still young in her career and still very raw and green 
but um, you know, she 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 showed some things in in that fight. You know, she showed a toughness and resilience that, like, you know, you don't really know what people have until you see it. So that's a good sign. But there was definitely, you know, um, a lot of things as you mentioned to to for her and her camp to to work on from from that fight. You know, it's great to get out with a victory and kind of have the lessons of a defeat nearly, um, to to work on and to to. You know, close the the hole in her the holes in her game. You know, you mentioned the weight, the, the weight. Yeah, she, she like it wasn't even close. That's uh, that's not good at all. Um, she seemed to tire out in the fight as well, which maybe maybe there was something in correlation there with the with the weight cut. It's hard to know. Maybe we'll we'll find something out after. You know, in the in the next few days or whatever. When, when uh, if she does an interview, but. Yeah. Um, it was a win. It was it was good matchmaking. I think it was a win that you know um, she can take and use to to build herself. I think you know if she had gone in there and destroyed uh, Harding, was it Harding? Is her name? Um, yeah, if she had went in there and destroyed her, then um, you know maybe they would have catapulted her up. Uh, quicker than than is is advisable. So maybe you know, getting this is probably the best possible outcome she could have had. Really, yeah. you know, uh, showing that she to herself and to everybody that she has the toughness and resilience to to come through bad spots and and also you know uh, getting the win and having having these things to close in your game. Like this is very early days in in the career. I think we a lot of people forget that because um, they've been following the, uh, some of these Irish fighters for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, throughout their amateur career and their pro career so it seems like they've been around they've been around a lot of time but they're still inexperienced at the pro level and you know going in against a more experienced fighter and coming through adversity and, and winning is is definitely a, is definitely a good step but it's uh, it's um, it's probably probably going to work out for the best that she doesn't get you know catapulted into the, the title picture in the next in the next few fights yeah like I think that fight kind of and I agree with everything you said I think that fight kind of showed you know what Leah is in the first round that she had those couple of big high amplitude takedowns and when she got to the ground you know she looked very good on the feet there wasn't much on the feet there was a lot of clinching in the first round but when uh, the fight was on the feet Harding was landing a few shots and in the second because I think the the biggest issue I would think for Leah was when the takedown was kind of stopped and when Harding was um, was able to clinch with her and win that kind of battle to get her back out in the feet that Leah kind of not not panicked as such but that's something that comes with experience as well I think you to find other ways to get out to maybe circle one way to not go straight back and with the head up in the air kind of and take those shots that she did uh, from Harding when she did that she was getting obviously getting hurt uh, an awful lot but you know to the resilience after she hurt after uh, she was hurt after it looked like it was going to be finished to come back to have the the perseverance to to get through it and the intelligence to land that uh, up kick and get the triangle it was it was really really good and that's that's something you don't see often from fighters in that situation you don't see kind of home run submissions or knockouts and she almost got bored of them you know in in, in that fight you you don't see that that much in MMA um so that is a huge thing I think for Leah McCorrick going forward she's kind of proven that she won't wilt she has great heart and she has the ability to uh to win a fight like that if she can get the striking together if she can get better defensively there there isn't much between her and the top of that division because uh, and well, when I say the top of that division, Cyborg aside, you know, aside from Cyborg, I think Julia Budd is a very good fighter as well, although her last performance wasn't great, but even if you look at the likes of Leslie Smith, 
you know, I think if, if Leah was to improve her striking a good bit where she's even defensively good, I think she's very strong and good on the ground. If she could get someone like that to the ground, you know, in, in four or five fights time, it wouldn't be the worst, uh, you know, matchmaker or mismatch in the world. So she's, she is in one realm of her game, not far, but in the, probably the toughest realm of it in the, uh, in the striking and the uh, defensive striking, especially, I think it's, uh, it's it's far away, and she needs to improve that an awful lot. But she'll know that herself, I'm sure, and she will uh, be improving with Owen Roddy as well. But I, that look, the Bellator rankings coming out, and some for some people, like says for like a Brian Moore, rank number nine. That was great for him because he wants big fights. He's ready. He's Brian Moore's at the stage of his career where he's in his prime, and he's been there for probably a few years now, and he needs the big fights now. But for the rankings for the likes of Liam McCourt and even Janae Harding who are not at the, the uh, peak of their career, who are still rising, but they're ranked like number five and six or something like that, that's an issue for them because they're going to be ranked with someone like a Leslie Smith or like a Katzingan or someone, you know, like a Sinead Kavanagh. And I know Janae Harding, you know, she fought Sinead Kavanagh, she beat Sinead Kavanagh, but it was a cut and Sinead Kavanagh was dominating that fight. But I think that that's an issue with the Bellator rankings in, in this division as well, especially. And uh, I think backwards rather than forwards is the way uh, that uh, Leah and, and Janae should probably both be looking at this stage. But a really, really great win for Leah McCourt. And, um, you know, hopefully if they can get a card back to Ireland at some stage, maybe towards the end of the year. Uh, and I don't know if they will be able to or not, but uh, if she could get she could get on it and... and um, Peter Queeley and James Gatter and stuff, it'd be absolutely great to, to see that again. So it was a, a fantastic win. And, you know, it's been a great couple of years for Liam McCourt, um, headlining over in Dublin and getting this big win as well. It's, uh, you know, and I think she does a fantastic job um, all around in the commentary and getting herself out there and getting on BBC and her fighting now as well. If, if that can keep improving and pick up. Uh, and she seems to be, you know, she's always traveling over to Liverpool, training with those boxers and training with Molly McCann as well. She does a, she, you know, she's she's doing everything that she needs to do to get to the to the very top. Can she do it? That's the joy of MMA. We'll see. You know, we'll see over the next couple of years. So, uh, very interesting uh, fight there and a great win and fair play to to Liam McCourt. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about matchmaking, Graham. You mentioned it there a minute ago, and I think the two fights I kind of want to mention are one from Bellator, which was uh, Valerie Lareda. Uh, and she fought Hannah Guy. Was a uh, lost that fight, but the the main one I think was Jack Hermanson versus Edmund Shabazzi. And for, first of all, actually, so the the, the Valerie Lareda fight, I thought she came into this fight and showed very good takedown defense. I thought she looked good on the feet as she always does. But the problem with her were like the in between bits. You know, she kind of like like Leah when the fight was. Uh, against defense, and when she kind of came out from defense and was back in the open, that kind of transition there was the, the area. I think she was getting caught in a little bit, or caught up in even maybe a little bit. For Lareda, she stopped the takedown very well, but then couldn't disengage and get back out to the striking. And it was that area. She did all the hard work. She did the hardest thing, the, the takedown defense. She stopped the takedowns. But then managed to get taken down or, or la- taken to the ground anyway rather than taken down um, in that position after she'd stopped the takedown. Which is kind of defies the point altogether. And Hannah Guy did a great job on the ground. She got one big takedown against her as well when um, Loretta threw uh, a big spinning shit which her corner went mad about. But um, I I actually think this fight for someone like Loretta was a good fight, you know, and this is the sort of matchmaking where she's three fights in, her opponent was three and one as well, so nothing wrong with that, but she's a good, tough, 
test for her. Not the greatest fighter in the world, but someone who's smart and intelligent for that. Uh, that amount of uh, experience, which Loretta needed. And I think if she, she had won this fight, I think it would be a learning experience. But the fact she lost this fight, I think it can even be a better learning experience for her. She didn't take that much damage or anything like that. But it, it shows what she needs to do to... Uh, to improve and to move on and and you know it, it, you also make a bit of a star in Hannah Guy as well I think she was very very good uh but f the, the opposite side of that then I think with the UFC and with Shabazian versus Hermanson Shabazian in his last fight we, we all saw it. he kind of got you know the hype train got derailed a little bit and I still think Shabazian the, 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 I, I still think he's one of the best prospects in the world and uh, it's uh, at middleweight and at any weight to be honest he's fantastic he, he really has it all but when you get a guy and he takes an all merciful beating in one fight and then you don't move him back altogether and you put him in against a killer like Jack Hermanson especially on the ground and then he wins the first round, right? And he does very well in the first round. I didn't think it was a million miles from a 10-8. But then gets taken down. And then gets beaten up again. And then gets more um, confidence just sucked from him. Wh what is the need of that? Like, why do you need to do that to someone right now? Give him five fights before you put him into a fight like this where he could have more confidence off him. Let him build up that confidence. Let him see. Put him in a position where he can be the best fighter he can be. I spoke to Spencer Kyle. He'll be coming out on, on Wednesday. A, great, a really great episode of the, the uh, State of the UFC where we spoke about the best fighting the best when they are the best. The aim of UFC matchmakers, the aim of any matchmaker, should be to get the fighter to where they are at their absolute best at the very top of the division to become a championship level fighter fighting another championship level fighter i just do not think putting edmund shabazian in against jack hermanson was going to get him to that state was going to get him to where he can be his best in the future now maybe he'll pop back and maybe they'll do it now and maybe they'll, they'll move him back and he'll have three or four fights against people maybe outside of the rankings but i think this was the time to do it and i think this was bad matchmaking and i said it before the fight and i said it after the fight again i didn't think it was great um what did you think? Yeah, well, I saw people replying to you uh, on Twitter saying that oh, he asked for this fight. He turned down different fights, but you know, in the past, Joe Silva told you who you were fighting. You didn't. You didn't yeah. negotiate. Uh, <laughs> if you're turning down fights, you were you were out in the out in the cold for a few months. You were sitting at home with no paycheck while uh, Joe Silva gets back around to you. You know what I mean? So it was kind of take it or leave it. Now it seems uh, people seem to be, oh, I don't want this guy, I want this guy, and seems to be a bit more accepted by the matchmakers, which, it, you know, you need to, these guys are obviously very confident in their abilities and want big fights and want to get to these big money, big jeopardy, big um or um, championship or contender fights or whatever as soon as they can, you know. But they need to be the UFC need to be the ones who who do the matchmaking, not the not the fighters. Um, you know, Shabazian, he definitely has, as you mentioned, he has a lot of skills and he, he definitely still has a lot of potential. And maybe maybe these fights won't affect him, but momentum and confidence. I was talking about it, like talking about it earlier, talking about it again now. It's definitely a big thing, you know. If you start doubting yourself or overthinking it in there or you know you're a split second late with with the technique or a shot that you're going to get countered and uh, i think 
yeah, I think bringing him back and giving him a few nice matchups that he can kind of get that momentum going again. And you know, like like for I would have expected a Joe Silva to to do in the past. Like you know, um, we we can test out uh, his his game against hand-picked opponents for a few fights you know get a bit of hype going and then start moving him up the thing up the up the ladder but now it just seems to be like uh, okay I, I i think like you know joe silva definitely didn't have to deal with as many as many cards as as the current matchmakers for for most of his ufc uh, tenure but even still even even still i think recently there's been some very uh, rushed matchups, and yeah. we, we always talk about what Irish guys not rushing them. And this is what can happen even to somebody as as talented as Shabazian. If you if you move them too quick, they can you know be on a, a two fight losing streak and take a lot of damage. And mm-hmm. you know their their then their near future performances being kind of um, you know having a lot of question marks around them instead of instead of being built up built up getting hype getting fans um more into you and um kind of rounding out your game against against opponents that are not cans but opponents yeah. that you know are are maybe you know not at the level of a hermanson you know hermanson might not be like the the biggest name in the, in the sport but he's he's a we- really well rounded tough guy and you know uh, i think we both picked hermanson uh, to win this and you know uh, uh, if they had made this fight maybe two years down the line after Shabazian had four or five mm-hmm. different fights, he'd probably be picking Shabazian. Hundred percent. You know, so this is this was just uh, unnecessarily quick, and I know people would say, "Oh, well, this is what he wanted," but you know, he shouldn't be the one in control of that. I, I want to fight Francis Ngannou. Does that mean I'm going to get it? Like, I, I like that uh, five million or whatever. <laughs> if, if that that makes no sense. He wanted his fight. Like, oh my god, that that the job of the UFC matchmakers is to not give people these sort of fights and I, I think and I'm not really slating the matchmakers as such I'm slating the matchmaking more than anything else I think they might need another matchmaker or maybe two matchmakers to be honest I think uh, you made a great point there there's so many fights Joe Silva was able to do it by himself then they got the two lads to do it I think there's too much now. I really do. I think there's too many divisions, too many fighters. The the problem is it's not just when, look when you see a ranked guy like this and a big name who's you know associated with Ronda Rousey and he's getting bad matchmaking, and then the guys who are coming in at the bottom are also kind of getting bad matchmaking and being thrown into the wolves when there's no need for it. A lot of times we see it with Jai Herbert and other guys like that as well. That is a big issue because you have malpractice at all ends of it from the very top even to the like very the, look at duke look at duke and wall what happened with that you yeah. know yeah they retired him basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know he like he retired himself or whatever but you know uh, things could have been extremely different if uh if the matchmaking was different yeah i i think yeah uh, i think it's something that really and i'm not necessarily saying they're bad matchmakers but i think they could do another one if uh if i was them, i'd be throwing a lot of money at ian dean and trying to get him over there because he's the sort of guy who wouldn't I don't think he would have made that fight, you know, and I don't think he'd be throwing the guys to the wolves with these young up-and-coming guys coming in as well. I think he'd be matching them with two or three fights before he moved them on to someone, you know, very, very good in that division, and uh, I think that's the way to go, but however. Um, let's talk about a little bit about judging, so, Graham, and the <laughs> Austin Vanderford versus Fabian Edwards, and I think we, we disagree on it a little bit, and I think a few people disagree on it. I think there's no disagreement, though, Okay, let, let's just quickly run through what... Well, the oh, third round is Vanderfort, yeah? Third round, Vanderfort. I, I think we can... Nobody's really arguing with that, yeah? No, the I, second I, yeah. round 
is Fabian Edwards. I well, don't now, think many people are arguing with that. Except for the, the judges. Apart from the three judges, which is not normal. You know, I come on here every week and I stand up for the judges and on Twitter and all. I always, I'm, I'm very much on the side of the judges. Too much of time, as some people would argue. But this one, this second round, I can't. I, like the, the, the whenever I talk to judges, can you? They always say, "Can you see an argument for it?" You know, you might think it's ten nine, but can you see why someone else would give a ten nine? And the, the answer, like the first round here, is yes. You know, I I thought it was one way. You thought it was another way. I went back and watched it. I thought it was very close. The second round, though, I cannot see a way you f- you give this to Aston Vanderford. I just cannot. I don't think there's any way you can score this round for Vanderford. And all three judges gave it for him now. Uh, this is this is a little bit nitpicking. This is very inside MMA. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the final decision. I think Vanderford winning the fight 29-28. I think that's fine. I think you probably had a 29-28 Edwards. We can we can talk about that in a second. But the, the second round here is the one that to me and that to you as some people who look at judging all the time and really get into the, the nooks and crannies of it, I suppose. This is the sort of round that's worrying. This is the sort of round that people who don't know anything about judging say, oh, look, the the, the judges are shit. You know, this is the sort of round that is is really bad and that shouldn't be scored for the guy it was scored for. Like, if you watched the round, uh, Fabian Edwards wins the first, what is it, three minutes-ish of the round, just landing the way better shots against Aston Vanderford, landing lovely straights down through middle. Not miles ahead, you know, but clearly ahead in that round. There's a bit of clinching. Nodding is landing. Vanderford gets a takedown with, I think, 92 seconds left. Fabian Edwards goes and lands six elbows from the bottom, I counted, and six good hard elbows. Austin Vanderford landed one nice hard elbow, uh, and the round ended. To me, I think to anyone watching who's read through the criteria, that's a Fabian Edwards round. Fabian Edwards won the striking, the clinch was even, nothing much there, and when the fight went to the ground, Aust- uh, Fabian Edwards clearly won it as well. So to me, that, that was the way that round went, and I thought it was pretty clear. That was... We don't often see it. We don't often see horrendous judging these days. But to me, that second round was horrendous judging. Really, really bad. Uh, and, um, you know, I don't think the whole fight overall was, was horrendous. But how did you score the fight overall? Did you think uh, Edwards did enough or did you think Vanderford did enough? Yeah, I completely agree about the second round. It was just, uh, it was just so clear for, for Edwards, I think. I think there's, there's pretty much no debate there. Um, and then the first round, like, I think the, the straight lefts and the the two nice body kicks that Fabian Edwards landed were more than enough to, to win the round. I think Vander landed one nice body kick and then the rest were kind of half shots or glove shots some of Fabian's were, were were hitting the gloves as well but I think I do think that Fabian won that round but it isn't an outrageous decision like the the se- or an outrageous card like the the second the second round but I, I do think you know uh, Fabian has a has a a right to feel very hard done by in that fight. Um, you know, uh, maybe a few years ago under different under the different rules, it would have been a a, a Vander um, Vanderford Van um, decision, and yeah. it would have been pretty clear cut. But nowadays, I think I think like I watched the first round back. You know, watching the judges don't have that uh, that uh, luxury, obviously. But watching it the first time and watching it back, I thought the same thing. I thought like, yeah, it was. 
it was there, there wasn't much to distinguish them, but the the straight lefts and the the little bit of body work that went down from from Fabian was was better than anything Vanderford put together. But you know, um, it was a much closer round in the second, and um, yeah, I think I think the wrong guy won. But uh, you know, when you're in these really close fights. Um, that can happen, you know. He's had a Fabian in his last couple of or his uh, two fights ago. He had one that maybe should have went the other way. So he can't really argue, you know. He he hasn't been hard done by over over a lot of fights or anything. These these things happen in MMA and uh, sometimes in MMA. But uh, I do think you know he, he came out more aggressive than um, he previously has. It was kind of the the worry I had going into this going into this is that he might kind of start slow like he's grown a tendency to do and he and he, he didn't explode out of the out of the, the gates or anything but he definitely was more active and i thought i thought that was enough to win the round just the, the, those those straight lefts and the, the body work but yeah i think um i think the wrong guy won the fight and i do think i agree with you that that second round was just appalling judging really really bad yeah i, w- I wouldn't say the wrong guy won the fight i thought it was very close even the third round you know i, I think uh, vanderford did win it but fabian caught him up with that elbow and landed a good few elbows but vanderford landed yeah, at the very end, well, yeah 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 at the very end like if he had a, maybe had a another 30 seconds he might have been able to to steal that round yeah yeah it was look it was an interesting fight and i think it's one that I I, I haven't watched back the first round. I scored it for Vanderford live, and I just about scored it for Vanderford again. Watching the back, I think the biggest shot of that round was the kick to the body from Vanderford. And now I know you disagree with that, and others probably disagree with it as well. But I I don't think Fabian landed anything huge in that round, or landed anything you know immediately impactful enough to absolutely take that round and look Vanderford didn't really either to be honest it was one of those ones that was very very close and you know I wouldn't criticize anyone for scoring that either way but um you know I I, I wasn't surprised that Vanderford won the third round and I was very surprised obviously with the, with the second round decision but you know I thought it was a good performance from from both guys to be honest Vanderford it's a very tough matchup against someone like Fabian Edwards and for Fabian it's a very tough matchup against someone like Vanderford so uh, yeah it was an encouraging you know uh, performance from from edwards even in in defeat, ultimate defeat yeah. or whatever because you know uh, the last two fights were, were very lackluster and and uh, even though one of them we got the decision i think you know his performance in this fight was was a lot better uh and you know um maybe you know this matchmaking <laughs> you know uh maybe they could have maybe they'll do it again you know maybe maybe it'll happen again in the future but i think you know, it wasn't. Yeah, they might need to put uh, Fabian in there with somebody who's going to stay on the feet with him, mm-hmm. and he can he can kind of get the momentum back that he's that he's lost over the last three fights. And because he definitely is one of the you know one of the best prospects they have in 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 Bellator at the moment. And um, you know, I think maybe if if you if you give him the right fights, he could he could kind of catapult himself and and kind of like with Shabazian he can he, he can be exposed in little little parts uh, against against guys who are particularly good in, in one realm and still get the victory and learn from that uh, with the right matchmaking but if he's if he's in there with you know um Vanderford type types uh, constantly it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be hard to recapture that momentum and I think I think like you know I'm definitely not writing him off or anything but I think he needs to he needs to kind of, you know, his next his next fight is so important. If he loses that, it, like there's a lot of momentum gone. There's a lot of, yeah. 
a lot of questions around is he is, is, there's going to be a lot of questions around if he's as good as we we think he is i think like all the abilities are there i'm not doubting that i just think maybe the the execution of game plan and yeah. and, and stuff has been has been letting them down you could see it at the start of the second round, you know, where Vanderford came in to go for the takedown and he just shoved him away. He's like, no, fuck this. I'm not letting you take me down. That's what Fabian Edwards needs at all times. And it feels like that's not there at all times. And if yeah, it he's was... he's cruising in too many fights. Yeah, it's just like, oh, well, I issue. can just do what I want here. It's, 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 he's it too to good for his own good. Like, you know, he's just too good in all areas. I always thought that was an issue with Anthony Pettis as well. He cruises in every area because he knows he's good there. But you know, it's grand being good in certain areas but you want to get to your areas where you're at your best and don't give the other guy a chance and I think that's Edwards' issue a little bit but the difference I think with an Edwards and a Shabazzian is I don't think Edwards is being like completely kind of not not shown up but he hasn't got a big beat down the two fights that he lost were two close fights and he's well up there he's in that you know competition he is a top ranked um, middleweight at the moment We I don't think he needs much of a, a push back but because he lost two fights obviously he's going to not get a guy in front of him or not get going to get a title shot or anything like that so I think as you said there get him two or three fights get him back in winning ways and then give him someone right, right up there and I think he will win those two fights to be honest and I think like I'd be surprised if in the next two years or so that Fabian Edwards is not fighting for a a Bellator title or something like that. I still think he has the ability. I, I still think he's a very good fighter. And uh, if they were to fight again, I think he'd beat, uh, beat um, not Shabazzian, um, Vanderford. So it, it's interesting to see how it goes. But however, um, a big, I, I know we talked a little bit about women's MMA earlier on, but it was a big weekend for, for women's MMA altogether. You know, Invicta came back as well. And myself and Ian will talk about more on that on the, on the chasing back. But um, Karina Rodriguez won the 125-pound title. Uh, Ashley Zabaleta won the 105-pound title. And there was um, some wins as well for Josie Schartz, uh, Claire Guthrie, Fatima uh, Kleins. I was good to see them back. They were on YouTube as well for people around here with the similar start of production and everything as they had the last time. So very, very good to see. Uh, Invicta back and obviously we did an Invicta champion in, in the main event in Bellator as well not much to say about this to be honest because there really wasn't much in it uh, Chris Cyborg defeated Leslie Smith uh, in f- at 4.51 in the 5th round and uh, Graham I've spent the last 2 days looking for another fight that's ended at 4.51 of round 5 and I cannot find one there's never been one in the UFC that's ended at 4.51 of round 5 I've gone through hundreds, maybe thousands, no, thousands of fights to try to find one, and I cannot find one. So if someone can find one, let me know. But however, um, do you know what? So, look, Cyborg destroyed Leslie Smith here over five rounds, and Leslie Smith was a little bit unfortunate that she didn't get the moral victory of going to the decision. Here's a here's a a little bit of a, a thing that you probably won't hear anyone else saying. I thought Cyborg looked a little bit old. I think she, I thought she looked a little bit slower, a little bit less powerful than she did before. Now, it was a great performance and she destroyed Leslie Smith and she was obviously way, way better than her. But Cyborg is getting on. She's had a lot of fights. She's had 26 fights. Okay, a lot of them she's been the hammer and uh, almost never nail apart from one fight. But she's 35 years of age now, going to be 36 here in, in a month's time. And I just thought, there, like, there's there's this thing sometimes with Cyborg, she fights a little bit slower and she fights a little bit maybe more technical, but mm, I thought there was a few times last night where she decided to up the pace a little bit, or on whatever night it was, where she decided to up the pace a little bit, um, 
and she just wasn't able to get the finish. Now, she did get it in the end, but I, look, I think she was trying to get rounds in and time under her belt as well, but I just thought yeah. she was a little bit I think we saw a little bit, a little bit of it um, in the UFC. I can't remember which fight it was. Um, uh, what fight was it with Cyborg? Did she, did she fight Felicia Spencer or someone like that? Or she, she went, took someone like five mm, rounds? It was on, somebody... Was, uh, it was, yeah, it was Felicia Spencer, I think. Yeah, that went... Hold on, let me just look at it here. I'm looking... Uh, does it say? Uh, oh yeah, it went to a decision. Yeah, against Felicia Spencer in the UFC. Yeah, you know, and we saw. We'll talk about the Spencer fight in a minute. Well, we saw that maybe she's not a. She's not. She's not really as as good as maybe she looked in 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 defeat in that fight. You know, she, obviously, Sober got the job done pretty pretty comfortably. But there was another fight. Was it was it Avenger? Where I think she won. Yeah. I think she finished she finished her I'm just trying to load this up here yeah it was the third round she finished her but in that fight she did look like she didn't have the same pop and speed and you know she she obviously went out and beat Holly Holm and Kuniskaya after that but you know I think maybe the, the signs of her slowing down maybe started in that fight you know sometimes you can just have a bad day at the office and stuff like that but I do think you know that um that huge power she has seems to, you know, she, she for for a long time, you, you, your safe money was uh, Cyborg in the first round, kind of whenever she touched, whenever she touched somebody, it was, it was the beginning of the end, and that isn't the case anymore. Yeah, um, I, I look, I think I do think you know we're being a little bit critical. I think she's trying to fight a little bit more technically, especially if the last few years fighting under Jason Perlow. I think she's done a good job of that. But even with that, I thought she was a little bit off. Uh, against uh, against Leslie Smith. Now the the thing about that as well. I spoke about John Jones before that. Like, how much off do you need to be to, to lose to the people in that division? And I would suggest very off. But if you have a very good fighter coming through and they manage to sign, say, like a Kel Harrison or someone like that to fight her, you know, I'd be a little bit worried. You know, and I I would uh, I, I wouldn't be worried about many people I have at the moment. You know, I think the Sinead Kavanaugh fight is a fight to make. She called out Katzengana, but um. Yeah, look, I think Cyborg, look, she doesn't have anyone to worry about too much at the moment. But uh, if someone did emerge and some killer came up like Amanda Nunes, uh, I think uh, I think they might have uh, something to look at. But, you know, probably not. Um, just to run quickly through the Bellator card, Leandro Higo defeated Darian Caldwell. Another close decision in that one. Uh, Jalal Winnis uh, got a win there. We mentioned Hannah Guy. Sayada Wad got a beautiful knockout there. Uh, as did Grant Neal, who got a lovely submission. Um, and there were some uh, good un- points in the undercard as well. Brett Johns lost there to uh, Danny Sabatello, who kind of took him down and uh, and uh, dominated him on the ground for the whole fight. And as I mentioned, Shabley as well against Davis. He's a guy you really need to keep an eye on. He's a, one of these other really good guys uh, coming through. Davian Franklin got a win there uh, as well to move to 3-0. and um, On the UFC card, on, on the undercard, nothing really stood out. David Dvorak got a nice rear naked choke. Court McGee uh, put on a good performance to Kind of sensational on the, the commentary desk. I'm not sure about that one, but um, Bruno de Silva got a beautiful knockout over uh, Victor Rodriguez, uh, Ben Rotwell, and Chris your Barnett. Boy, your boy, Chris Barnett. The, the funniest fight of the year without a shadow of a doubt. It was, I'd, I'd pay fucking $60 if I was in America for this fight. One of the most hilarious fights I've ever seen. Just beautiful stuff. This 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 was this was the apex of the UFC. This this is what we want to see. I think as uh, as fans of MMA, but this main card was just okay. You take away Hermanson Shabazian, which you know was an interesting fight, a fight we talk about. But Ramos versus Algio, uh, Dumont versus Spencer, Van Vandera versus Stafford. Those three fights, I barely watched them. To be, I'm not even gonna lie. All three went to decision, one split decision. 
does anyone care about those fights? Like, let's let's be honest there. It, it was one of those main cards where, like, this is a fucking undercard. Like, and I'm not saying these people are bad fighters and all, and you know they could definitely emerge and even they're going to take whatever spot they're they're given. They're not. Yeah, they're it's not, not them, but like, oh, it's this is not a UFC main card. You know, there's Hermanson and Shabazian fight, Esparza, Jonan, and Garbrand Font. Absolutely, three very good fights. I would have just made a three fight main card. You know. I, and I know with with, with uh, the television and stuff, it's not like that. But if you if you could, that's what you would have done here. This is not this is not a UFC quality main card. Absolutely, the furthest thing you could see from it. Um, and I, I, you know, wasn't great. So um, we must talk about Asparza versus John Ando before we go. That was a yeah. brilliant display by Carl Asparza, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it was definitely a, a dominant performance, but I think Jan's ground game got exposed in a in a big way. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as a, we haven't really seen like back in the day in Invicta when maybe when she was champion and stuff like that, she was kind of dominant, but uh, in a wrestling as dominant as just in a wrestling. But it's been a while since we've seen her have it so easy. Um, and you know, maybe it's she's turned a corner and improved, but I I don't think so. I think it was just Jan was just just exposed on the ground and didn't really offer much of anything uh, in terms of resistance. So, uh, yeah, um, like big win. I, I, I thought Jan would get it done. I thought, you know, she'd be able to use her striking and as far as maybe, you know, her takedowns aren't exactly explosive, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, she she just had no answer for, for simple takedowns. Yeah, I, I thought the same. I thought Jan was going to win this fight, but credit to Carla Esparza. She's one of these people where she... Lo- Look, when Carla Esparza came in and she won the title and she beat a very inexperienced Rosanami Yunus, I think a lot of people thought she was kind of like a Nico Montano, the kind of the placeholder for that division. And then she was kind of, you know, Johnny Yone and Jecha came in and absolutely murked her. And I thought, and I think a lot of people thought, right, that's the last we'll see of Carla Esparza in a title fight now. You know, I think she. everyone thought maybe she'd hang around the UFC or fight for a while. But for her to come back and fight her way back, and I think she deserves a title shot, and I think she's going to get the title shot now. Um, unbelievable. And a great credit to Carla Esparza. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's one of those fighters and one of those, um, those uh, runs that other fighters look at and go, oh, you know, maybe I can do that. <laughs> maybe it's not over. Maybe, you know, maybe things can get a little bit better. And, and you, they can't always. And it takes something special. It takes someone special. I think Carla Esparza is that. Will she win the title fight? We'll, we'll see about that. I wouldn't. I probably won't be picking her again. But I haven't picked her probably in a few fights. And she's gone out and won them. So you can't rule her out. So, um, you know, I must mention that. Fair play to Carla Esparza. Um, right. Great. A couple of questions. We, we, I, we haven't been taking as many questions recently because I've been doing the Q&A. But we'll, we will uh, lash a few questions in here okay the first one from still champ champ asks about uh, paul felder and what we think of of his career after he retired last night um looking forward to his next one would be i suppose my <laughs> my first reaction to it but um paul felder is one of these guys you know that has been uh, he came into the ufc and he was kind of like trying to become a ranked fighter for a good while then became it, you know, he had a very good win over... He kind of came in as, as Cowboy's mate. Cowboy's, yeah, mate and training partner. And, you know, he beat Danny Castillo, obviously, lost to Edson Barboas and Ross Pearson. But I think wins over the likes of Darren Krushchenk and Josh Berkman. And even, you know, he's a win over Charles Oliveira. I think it was Charles Oliveira's uh, last loss in 2017. Even his performance against uh, Edson Barboza the first time, yeah. you know, he, he lost the fight, but he, but he held his own. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think he was always one of those guys. He was all he always gave people a tough fight, and you know he beat Edson Barboza the second time around, then lost the last two to Dan Hooker and and Rafael Dos Anjos to split decisions. You know, f- four of his last five fights split decisions, one win and three losses, and that's that's <laughs> tough, you know, as well when it's you're in lots of close fights like that. If he let's say he'd won them, he'd be on a what a three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine fight winning streak, and he'd be in he'd probably be getting a title shot now, you know. And it was Mike Perry, Dan Hooker, Rafael Dos Anjos, not not exactly like things that you, you fighters that you couldn't you know hope that he might beat at some stage especially the, the Mike Perry one I think but um overall I like I think when Paul Felder came in we we, we saw what he was and we he kept on that spinning back fist for a while for a few fights and then he kind of got out of that and I think he gradually improved all the time and I think Felder was one of these guys a little bit like a Kenny Florian who we mentioned as well earlier on who got the best, I think, out of his ability and got the best out of his career. I don't think he's the most athletically gifted fighter in the world. Um, and I don't think he's the most powerful or quick fighter in the world, but he was a smart guy, a good technical fighter. He fought in a way that, um, you know, suited him. And that's what that's all you can do and fight, you know, at the very top against, you know, guys like Oliveira and Barboza and Hooker and Dos Anjos, a former champion, obviously, as well. Um a good career, you know, not, not one of those guys where he wasn't ever in the the title range, wasn't ever in the the at the very very top of the division, but always, you know, ranked for the last what four or five, three or four years. So you know, a very good career for Paul Felder, the sort of guy as well who I think might actually say retired. What? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. It's just, but. You know, uh, uh, if you, if I keep if I believe any of these, I just feel like a fool afterwards because yeah, I, yeah. I know I know deep down that is uh, you know the chances of it actually going through are just so so small historically. Mm-hmm. If you look at the data and if you just remember all these guys uh, who has actually stayed retired, you know, uh, Cole Conrad and Cole Pendred. Mm-hmm. Neil, Neil Siri, Neil Siri, Neil Siri, yeah, Neil Siri. He retired a few times, though, didn't he? Oh, did he? Ah, <laughs> I think they all did. Conor McGregor, he said retired. Oh wait, yeah. no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he didn't. Uh, yeah, I think that's. Uh, I'm looking forward to Habib versus Felder in a few yeah. months. Anyway. <laughs> Alan Joban, Alan Joban retires <laughs> a three-way. Yeah, that Alan Joban um, video package they played. I was like, it was nice, but I'm like. Mm, Alan Joban was like an okay fighter for a good few years, but like, oh, come and on. And he'll be back as well, so what are we doing he here? Will, yeah, he will. Um, uh, a very good question here Chris Murphy, who has improved more since their strawweight title fight? Carla Esparza or Rose Namunas? I, I would say Rose. I think. Ro- oh, Rose, yeah, definitely. 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 Rose. But, but Carla, she had so much more room to grow yeah, as well, I suppose. Yeah, I and that was, was so much greener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was the difference. Uh, and last one here, and we'll answer the rest over on Tuesday on the QA. Um, and as well, I'm, I must mention, I'm, I'm, that's on Patreon. The, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast as well, but um, the um, podcast I've coming up on Wednesday with Spencer Kite, the state of the UFC, an absolutely jam packed hour and a half of a chat. And Spencer's the absolute r- state of the UFC. Yeah. <laughs> I think you listened to Greb. It was, it was a fun podcast on the Spencer is really, really good. And if I know maybe not everyone in Irish MMA has, has listened to Spencer and podcasts and stuff before, he's brilliant. I'm definitely going to have him yeah, on very again. Very knowledgeable. So. And very knowledgeable. Yeah. yeah. Very, very knowledgeable. Um, before we actually get to the last question, let's give us a shout out to, to Fight Picks as well. Uh, head on over to fightpicks.com. Uh, get your picks in. There's a, f- a few cards coming up in the next couple of weeks. I know there's no, no, no for, for two weeks, but um, you can get your picks 
you in any way get them in early uh, download the app go over to iOS or Android and get the app uh, and get your uh, your picks in so go to fightpicks.com follow them on Twitter as well at fightpicks um, join the Severe May League I think it's ending in, in the next week or so that league as well so uh, we will be crowning uh, a winner we might even extend it until the, the, the next uh, fight night just so everyone has a, a chance to get to the to the last one but um uh, yeah, so the the winner will be crowned. It was, a, it was a nice uh, victory for me uh, in this this week's fight card. Was it? Were you? Did you finish top? Did you? Yeah, yeah. I'm catching up on you. I'm only I'm only twenty odd points behind did you now you? after missing after missing a week. So Ooh. I think we all know what would have happened if I had have uh, got my uh, my Nostradamus Nostradamus esque picks in uh, yeah. uh, that week. Let's uh, let's just have a quick look here and see who's top of the league. Uh, where's my leaderboard? Um, okay, Turbo. Jugend is number one. I'm down in number five, at uh, with two hundred or seven hundred twenty-eight points. So, you know what? You know, Kalen number two. He could win it if he gets a couple of big ones in the next one. But you know, it's uh, it's close there. So there's a there's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, fighting to still be done on, on the last week. I will extend it until uh, until after uh, next Sunday or Sunday week. So, uh, looking forward to that. There, we will we will be uh, we crowning a winner. And thanks to everyone who's taken part. It's been uh, it's been really really fun. And hopefully we'll be able to do something like that again in uh, in the not too distant future. But last question here, Graham. And I think this is an interesting one. Gavin Spring it is Cody overrated like Tony, the one with the striking uh, ended cons- uh, constantly going for takedowns. What do you think? Do you think Cody Garbrandt is overrated? <laughs> Um, depends how people rate him now. I think he was better than he is. Um, I think he he like he deservedly was the champion. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I think he has a lot to prove. Um, and I'm not sure he 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 can do it anymore. Um, you know he's not he's not um, it's not a complete write off. You know maybe if 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 he has more time at Mark Henry, uh, you know I, I'm. I'm not the biggest fan of Mark Henry. I know you're not either. Um, but uh, you know, you need time, no matter who the coach is. To like TJ didn't just start with with uh, Dwayne and have this way better striker than he had before. It takes time, yeah. you know. Um, so uh, Cody could turn it around, but I, I just think, I just think he's not going to. Yeah, yeah. Look, is Cody overrated? A little bit, I think, but it depends how you rate him. Because yeah. I think, like you know, I I picked Font in that fight. I think a lot of people picked Font. I think mm. like a few years ago, Cardi Garbrandt would have been the pick, like uh, pretty unanimously. But uh, I think people are kind of have lowered their expectations of him. I think, yeah, I think he, he's not rated as highly in in my mind as he was before. Anyway, yeah, although I like. I think the Cody Garbrandt to beat Dominic Cruz is a fantastic fighter. Like, that fighter on that night, I think it's hard to overrate how good he was. So, you know, what has come after that is a little bit different. But I uh, I think there's maybe some circumstances. He's had bad injuries and he's, you know, getting knocked out a couple of times has taken him away. But oh, if you were to say, like, he's one of the best bantamweights of all time, maybe that's overrating him. But if you're to say him and his performance against Dominic Cruz is one of the best we've ever seen or in, in bantamweight history or title fight history or whatever I, I don't think that's an overestimation I think it was I think it was a fantastic display but yeah and he had time to practice that because he was doing it for Uriah Faber yeah. he was doing it for his other an alpha male he was basically the guy that would mimic um, Dominic Cruz for years so he so like you know he'd, he'd worked on that so maybe he can do that with Mark Henry but 
yeah, you know, time will tell. That's, that's the thing about MMA. You, you, we'll soon see, but uh, but I, I have my doubts. Yeah, 100%. Um, all right, I suppose um, just before we go, a quick update. Irish MMA is, is kind of on the way back as well. Uh, Ian Gary fighting for the Cage Warriors title against Jack Grant uh, at Cage Warriors 125. Uh, Joe McCulgan as well fighting for the lightweight title against Aggie Sagdari. That's a big, big fight uh, on the same card. Uh, and uh, on the same card again, Decky McAleenan is fighting uh, Stephen McIntosh. So some big fights announced for Irish MMA this week week and uh, i'm looking forward to seeing him and uh we, we'll obviously have a big breakdown of that but i said i just mentioned him here at the end of this podcast so we can uh look at what's going to be coming uh going forward so i'm looking uh, looking forward to that. i think palahan has a fight as well not too far down uh, ian interviewed him so if you want to check that out it's over on uh, on the severe may youtube um you know we mentioned takamanda a couple of weeks ago as well uh he signed uh we announced it over in over in severe may for efc worldwide and you know not a bad time for Irish MMA, so I'm looking forward to uh, talking about that more in the coming weeks. Right, everybody, thank you very much for listening, and then all that's left to do is give the inspirational quote of the week. A mistake repeated more than once is a decision. We'll see you next Tuesday, or probably Sunday. <laughs>